Well, good morning. God bless you this morning. Great opportunity to give praise and worship from our hearts and our minds to the one who's so worthy of it. I hope we see that today as we come in here. Uh, we come to the house of God to meet with the God of the house. So I, that's my prayer for each of you today as I get here early in the morning and pray. You know, all, all I am is hopefully a, a catalyst to, to bring forth some truths that God's already telling you in your private time anyhow. Um, but I wanted to say Happy Mother's Day today to all you ladies. Um, the impact of a godly mother's influence is tremendous. We see it in the scriptures. You know, as we're reading this uh, letter, even referencing Timothy, you know, it doesn't say much about his dad, even if his dad was a believer, but he had a godly mother and grandmother. And they taught him the scriptures from a youth, and he went on to be equal sold with Paul the Apostle and affect the kingdom of God. So I think one of the highest callings on planet Earth has nothing to be, do with being a CEO, but it's being a M-O-T-H-E-R. I think I spelled it right, right? I have my spell check in front of me. <laughs> it's been a long time. Um, but, but seriously, happy Mother's Day to all you mothers out there. So let's open with a word of prayer and see what God has for us today. Father, we thank you uh, that we are loved to a degree we can't even understand. But we're reminded today of the cross. And we're reminded today, Lord, that, that you, you have put your church on the earth with a purpose. And the most important purpose of the church, not being a building, but being your redeemed people, is to know you, <laughs> to experience you. And, and Father, your word tells us that Jesus walks in the midst of the churches. And I thank you, Lord, that we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith. That Jesus, you're here with us right now. We can't see you, but that doesn't matter. Because we've been told that you're here with us right now. And Lord, there are so many hearts, so many lives that are sitting in this room here today that really need a connection with you, that really need to receive something from you, including me. And I pray, Father, that we would be able to extract out of the Bible today the very things that we need for our lives, the very things that we need for the season that we're currently in, and that you would bless your people with peace, that you would prosper each one of our walks with you, before you take us home. We bless your name, and we pray, Father, that our hearts would be soft and pliable and teachable. The Holy Spirit, you'd be able to write your truths, and they'd be able to sink deep in to make us conformed in the image of the dear Son of God, Jesus Christ. Amen. First Thessalonians chapter 4, that's where we're going to be today. First Thessalonians 4. Get your fingers warmed up. Probably going to do some cross-referencing today. Everything in the Bible is important. Everything. The Bible itself is a revelation of who God is. And whether it's doctrine and theology in all its various forms... Everything that we look at is so important. What we see today in the book of Thessalonians in chapter 4, this is where the book shifts. There's a shift in the flow. 
And the shift that we see here is going to be th where things were exhorted to really engage and to exercise these things in a practical, applicable manner. I can't remember whose uh, radio program it is, but it's called Where Learning is for Living. And that's what we're looking at. The things that we've learned now are to transfer themselves over into the way that we live our lives. Because as Christians, we've been designed to be different. Remember, we're from a different kingdom. We're citizens of heaven. The shift of the book, verse one or chapters 1 through 3, are looking back. 4 through 5 is looking forward. 1 through 3 has been reminding and encouraging. 4 through 5 is requesting and instructing. 1 through 3 was our past salvation. 4 through 5 is our present sanctification. But before we can even get into this chapter, we've got to back up a verse. And in verse 13, it says, To the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Reminding the church, Jesus is coming. And the reality of really believing that is going to transfer over into our behavior, the way we behave. It's not just something that should be in our mind, but it should penetrate our hearts for the way that we live our lives. The return of Jesus Christ fuels godly living. It fuels godly living. It's that anticipation and that expectation that gives us a motivation for the following verses that we're going to look at here in chapter 4. So the dividing part of the book here, furthermore... Then we beseech you, implore you, or begging you, brethren. Now, only believers can receive these truths, right? Unbelievers laugh at them. They reject them. They might mock them. I was on that side of the fence at one time. Thankfully, the Lord's grace brought me to the right side. But he says, I receive you, brethren, and I exhort you. So this is really a call to action, encouragement that produces change. I encourage you by the Lord Jesus. And before he gives these instructions, he reminds us that Jesus Christ isn't just Savior, he's Lord. And when Jesus Christ is Lord, we remember that our lives have been bought with a price and I no longer have the right to live under self-authority. And I believe that we've got to ask ourselves as a church, and I believe we've got to ask ourselves as individuals, is Jesus Christ our, masker, our master or our mascot? A lot of churches have him as a mascot. A lot of believers have him as a mascot. A mascot is a person or a thing that's supposed to bring good luck. It's a symbol to represent an organization that pumps up the crowd. But the master is the loving authority that knows better for me than I know for me. The one who deserves me to be living yielded and submitted to. Knowing that he's trying to guide my life down the path of blessing and goodness. 
Paul wouldn't expect the church to do something that he himself wasn't doing. Remember when he got saved on the Damascus Road as Saul of Tarsus, he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He embraced Christ's authority over his life. And he's encouraging the church in that authority. He says that as you have received, and that's what they were in the present tense of doing, they were continuing to receive God's truth into their life. They were letting it all sink in, not part of it. They weren't worried about it sinking into their neighbor or their spouse. They were letting it sink into themselves. Remember, this is a church worth modeling. This is a pattern worth following. They weren't just a good example to one another. They were an example to all the churches in a whole area. He says that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and please God so that you would abound more and more. How you ought to walk and please God. I want you to know this today, that if you're in Christ Jesus, your position, because of your position of being a son or a daughter of the Most High God, God's love for you is there, it's constant, and it'll take you all the way through eternity. The love of God will never change towards your life. That's our position. But our practice determines whether we please him or not. The actions, the choices, the behavior, the heart attitudes determine, even this last week, whether we lived in a way that was pleasing to God. And you know what? If you have kids, you love them. Nothing changes that, no matter what they do. But their behavior can be pleasing or displeasing based upon their choices. That's the way we are with God. God is so pleased when you and I engage the Word of God into the situation that we find ourselves in. Engage the Word of God at the forks of the road that we find ourselves in. He's so pleased by those things. If you will, go to Hebrews chapter 11 with me real quick. Look at an individual here because you know what? I don't know about you. Look at this crazy world we live in. We're living at the precipice of the rapture of the church. Our, Our king's coming quickly. And the signs are all there if you've got eyes to see. A lot of people say that, well, you know, nothing has to take place before the rapture of the church. I don't believe that. I've heard a lot of good pastors say that. I believe that the fullness of the Gentiles has to come in, and what that means is I believe there's one last person out there that's going to complete the bride of Christ, and we go home. And that person could be in this church today. I'm begging you get saved. (laughs) I went out. (laughs) But remember, he said, how you ought to walk speaks of your conduct of life, okay, the way that you live your life. And John told us that we're to walk as Christ walked, right? So, so the, how you ought to walk and how you ought to please God so you would, would abound more and even more. Now, now, look at Hebrews 11. I mean, here's a great example. When you think about somebody that pleased God, I mean, obviously, we could go to the baptism of Jesus, This is my well-beloved son in whom I'm well-pleased. The son of God. Deity and humanity mixed together, meshed together. All right? But here's an individual like you and I. (laughs) Fallen fabric. Sin nature. Born under trouble as the sparks fly upward. (laughs) Thinking of all the things about me, not you. But but we see this here. He he says here in verse 5, by faith, Enoch 
He was translated, one man rapture. He was translated that he should not see death. Okay, he never experienced, never tasted death. He was not found because God had translated him. For before this translation, he had this testimony. He pleased God. He pleased God. Now, I could pick apart him, and I'll reference a couple things, but, but I want you to listen to the flow of this, that, that Paul said how you ought to walk and please God so you would abound more and more. Okay, so we see right here that he had this testimony, right? What was his testimony? That he pleased God. You know what the book of Genesis tells us simply this? doesn't tell us a lot about Enoch, but it tells us this. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah. You know what he, he so what do I got to do to please God? Just walk with him. Walk with him and get ready for him to take you home. It's pretty simple. Well, what's it mean to walk with God? That means that, you know what, I'm in contact and communion with him throughout my day, throughout my nights. When I awake in the morning with his fresh mercies upon my, my, my life and when I lay down at night, the very things I'm supposed to be declaring into my children's lives according to Deuteronomy chapter 6, that, that you just walk with God. It, walk with him. D perform for him. doesn't say perform for him. It says just walk with him. That's what caused Enoch to do it. And you know what? Here's the whole thing too because Enoch's a lot like us or should be a lot like us. He had this testimony. Please God. It says that Enoch walked with God but, but Jude tells us that he had a message that Jesus was, that the Lord was coming. He would preach about the coming of the Lord. So that's what we, that's how we see him living. We see him living in a way where he had a real relationship with God. He walked with God daily and he always had his eyes on the fact that the Lord was coming back. And it impacted the person he was, and he had his testimony that he pleased God. One man rapture, right? So look at my life, your life, based upon our interior attitudes and our exterior actions, have the ability to bring great satisfaction to the one who said, let there be light. I can bring joy to the heart of Almighty God by my actions and by my attitudes. I have the ability to do that. By the, to the one who said, let there be light. To the one that said, Adam, where art thou? To the one that told Moses, I am that I am. I have the ability to please him based upon my attitudes and my actions. To the one who said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? To the one who said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. To the one who said, it's finished. I have the ability to please him by what I allow him to do on the inside and how that shows itself on the outside. And he says, you can go back to Thessalonians. He says that you would abound more and more. Let me tell you something. Paul never told his church, you guys have made it. He always encouraged them, there's more. No matter, you might be at the epoch of your walk with Jesus Christ right now, I want to tell you there's more. There's more. We're to abound with more. God wants to give us greater experiences of his love, his mercy, his grace. He wants us to experience greater things about his peace, his joy, his hope. There's just more. And he wanted this church to continue to prosper more and more. Verse 2 says, 
for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. Okay, now speaking about commandments here, and, and, and Paul right here is, is really flexing a little apostolic authority that didn't come from himself, but came from Jesus that he felt very responsible declaring into the hearts of the church. And when we look at this, he, he says this, for you know what commandments commandments that's the way that he saw the word of god we have to ask ourselves how do i see the word of god is obeying it optional in my life because if obeying it is optional in my life i got to go back and revisit the fact is jesus really my lord it doesn't mean we're going to trip up doesn't mean we're going to stumble up now and then but, but what it does mean is I don't have a continual pattern of living my life contrary to the scriptures. Because if I do, i got to ask some questions. I don't want to be those who are deceived. Or here, I, depart from me, I never knew you. But I went to church. But what did you do in my word? What did you do in my son? How did my word affect who you were? Were you conformed in the image of my son, light out there in that dark world, or were you darkness out in that dark world because you were churched and not saved? So when, when we look at this, he says, for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. It's so important to really ask ourselves, what do I believe about this? Because what I truly believe about this is going to affect the behavior in which I live. As he sets this up now, all right, he's setting them up, he's commanding them, and he's commanding them really to a life of blessing. I'm taking you down the path to a life of blessing. And he's going to touch on some things that need to be touched on because it took place in that culture because there's nothing new under the sun. And, and it's really... It's really gone on steroids in our culture because we're living in a day, in case you haven't noticed, that iniquity is abounding. And because iniquity is abounding, you and I need to make sure that we're not letting our love grow cold. So these are the commandments that I give you for, for this is the will of God. So a lot of times people, we, we get asked that in our uh, question and answer thing, to ask the pastor thing we do for the kids. What, what's God's will for my life? I guarantee you this. I can't tell you specifically what God's will is for your life, but God's will is God's word for your life. And if you will live out the word of God in your life, you're living out the will of God in your life. Live out the word and you're living out the will. But he says this, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, right? Us being set apart. Now, for believers, there's three major processes that take place in our life. There's salvation, sanctification, and glorification. Salvation's when we get saved, when Christ becomes our Lord and Savior. For me, that was 1994. But since then, there's a process that's supposed to be going on in my life called sanctification, where I'm being set apart more from the world and for the purposes of God, okay? That's what sanctification is. And then when Jesus comes back, he fixes us. And that's glorification, and I'm looking so forward to that day. I'm ready to be fixed holy. So, so, but he's speaking here about sanctification, the way that we're currently living our life, being set apart from the world, being set apart for the purposes of God. And this is what he said, that you should abstain from fornication. The word abstain there is literally to put a distance between you and it. So let the rubber meet the road today. Any 
form of sexual activity out of the marriage bed of one biological male married to one biological female in the eyes of Almighty God is sin. Now, you really don't hear this topic spoken about in church growth programs or most pulpits today. But where you will find this topic spoken about is in the heart of our Father who loves us. We've been given examples in the Bible of just the dangers that come from crossing lines that shouldn't be crossed. We see him in David with Bathsheba. We see him with Samson and Delilah. We see Solomon, how his wives that he was not supposed to marry turned his heart from his God. We see Israel with the Moabites and the plague that entered in uh, amongst them. And we got to be humble enough to realize that we are all cut, male and female, from the same fallen nature. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 with me for a moment. And this just isn't a male issue because I, I believe Bathsheba was very cooperative with David. To put a bit distance between, I, I love this, okay? So here, here's Paul writing to his equal-souled son in the faith, Timothy, young pastor, Devils after him, difficulty in the ministries. Verse 20 of 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 20, says this, For in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and earth, some to honor, some to dishonor. If a man will therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, and, and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. And the word here that we're looking at, Paul says to abstain from fornication. Look what he tells Timothy. Flee also youthful lust. Flee youthful lust. He doesn't say youthful, flee lust. He says flee youthful Lust. That's put in the Bible for a reason, for you and I to receive its truth. The word flee there is where we get our word fugitive from. And if you ever saw the movie, The Fugitive, that was an individual always on a run of people who were continually pursuing him. And that's what he's telling Timothy. There's never going to come a time where these things don't pursue you. Therefore, you have to be on the run from them. And one of the greatest ways that you can flee these youthful lusts, he says, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Get yourself around some pure-hearted people. That'll encourage you and bless you and build you up. One of the things about fornication is it puts someone's soul in jeopardy. Because we're told in the Bible that people who live in that lifestyle will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
It's not the unpardonable sin, but it's a sin that needs to be repented of. And the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Word, is trying to steer them back in the right direction if any of them got off. So you can go back to Thessalonians with me. It's a, it's a very serious topic, and it take people out. And we can't ignore it. I mean, look at the culture that we live in today. The one thing that we've got to make sure of as a church is that we don't be desensitized for what the Bible calls truth, what the Bible calls right, what the Bible calls sin. Society has digressed, but we've been called to hold the line. We've been called to hold the line on what God says is true. Not what society, not what CNN, social media, or any of those things have to tell us, but, but we've got to hold the line. So he says in verse 4 that, that, that every one of you should, should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. So as he's speaking this, he's calling them really to examine themselves, their behaviors, really their lifestyles, maybe what's going on outside of the church in their own personal lives. He's calling them to do that because he wants to see them used to a greater degree. Now, you're back in Thessalonians, but I read a little bit before that because of this. He says, in a great house, there's not only vessels, and that's what we're looking at here in 4, about a vessel um, of gold and silver, but also wood and earth, some to honor, some dishonor. If any man therefore were purge himself, it's where we get our, it's akathero. It's where we get our word catheter from, something that would go in and extract the poisons of our body to take them out of us. If anyone will purge himself from these things through repentance, confession, he shall be a vessel of honor. I hope we want to be vessels of honor. I hope when we look at the cross that there is enough love and sacrifice and it's been so personalized in our life that it motivates us to say, you know what? I want my life used somehow to bring glory and honor to Jesus. So, so he shall be a vessel of honor, sanctified. Look at meat for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. But what takes place before? We all want to be an honor used for God, but what takes place first? Got to be purged. Got to be cleansed. Got to receive truth. Got to let truth do what it can do with us by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit uses the Holy Word to purify God's people that we be holy vessels fit and meet for His use. That everyone should know how to possess His vessel in sanctification and honor. <clears throat> Verse 5 says, Not in the lust of concupiscence or impure desires, even as the Gentiles, which know not God. So, so we're here, we're gathered. We're receiving the truths that we didn't know until we met Jesus, the truths that we didn't understand until the Holy Spirit stepped into our life. And so when we look at this, we see that the, the counsel that we're told here, it's not as the Gentiles who know not God. We don't do it the way they do it. We're not okay with the things that they okay. We're okay with what God says is okay. And that's a huge contrast between the kingdom of man and the kingdom of God. If you will, go to 1 John chapter 2 with me for a moment.
1 John chapter 2, okay? Paul saying, not in the lust of impure desires, even as the Gentiles which know not God. Here's the thing. Once you come to know God, you know what he gives you the ability to do? To be free from lustful desires. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. You shall know the word, and it shall make you free. So we see here, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, love not the world. But, but I thought God loved the world. God loved the world. The contents of the world includes the th what holds value, people. But it's talking about the fallen world system that lives in rebellion to its creator. That's the world that he's talking about here. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof. But he that does the will of God abides forever. That was Paul, or that was John's exhortation. I want to remind you, we're living in a day where sexual immorality is on steroids. The potential of the demise of any life in this room lies right behind a screen, whether a TV, a computer, or a phone. Have we allowed God to draw lines in our life? Have we allowed God to draw lines in our life, and are we holding that line? Because we are being bombarded, totally. The world system is run by the little G, the little God of this world, who has a temporary rule for a little time, but he's looking to infiltrate our homes and infiltrate our hearts, pollute, contaminate, and poison each one of us that are in this room here today. And it will happen if we don't stand our convictions. If the word of God is not our convictions and we don't stand our convictions, I'm telling you we're heading for a demise. We will be contaminated, polluted, and poisoned by the devil himself. Don't love the world. We need more of the holy word and less of Hollywood in the life of a believer. You can go back to Thessalonians with me. He says, and here, here we go, that, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother so we don't go beyond. We don't step over a boundary God has set for us. We don't break through any barriers that God has set before us to defraud someone selfishly and greedily take something for personal gain. And that's exactly what takes place in sexual sin. Because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you, and we've testified. So God's saying, Paul's warning them here, look, it, you might think you're getting away with it. You're not going to get away with it. Can a man invite fire into his bosom and, and his clothes not be burned? Can, a, can you walk on hot coals and your feet not be burned? God's trying to keep us from the consequences and the ramifications and the reaping from wrong sowing. And Paul's a catalyst here to warn the church. He says, for God has not called us unto uncleanness. He hasn't called us to impurity. But unto holiness. And I'm telling you, man, holiness is not legalism. Holiness is not self-righteousness. Holiness is the very nature of God by the Holy Spirit really being able to live himself through us. Holy living. 
Philippians chair. I know I'm having you flip all over. I'll do it so you don't have to. I know your fingers are tired. <laughs> Philippians 2, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, if you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He doesn't say work for it. Let this salvation work out of you. Let what God's put in you work itself out of you with fear and trembling, for it's God which works in you both to do will and to do of his good pleasure. A commentary I read said, we are to live it out by lives of practical holiness. Practical holiness. Purity. The very purity of God being able to demonstrate itself in and through our lives. And, and to live a holy life means I'm not feeding unholiness in my life. I'm starving it. I'm not enabling it. I'm disabling it. I'm taking very serious that my heart's a garden and I'm careful who plants in it. That the seeds can come through my ears. They can come through my eyes they can come through my mind into a heart that belongs to God Paul told Timothy keep thyself pure for us we need to have non-negotiables in our life we need to have boundaries that are uncompromised he therefore that despiseth despiseth not man but God who's given unto us the Holy Spirit Verse 9, he says, But as touching brotherly love, you need not that I write unto you, for you yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Just to be honest with you, you all make it pretty darn easy around here. The love that you have for the Lord, the love that he has for you, and the way that it demonstrates its life into one another, you make it pretty darn easy most of the time. But what he says here, touching brotherly love, you have no need that I write unto you because they naturally do it for you yourselves are taught of God and that's what God's always teaching us. He's always teaching us to love one another, but, but I love the definition of this that Woos gives us, taught of God to love one another. That definition, agapeo, it speaks of a love that is awakened, okay? And this might need to happen today. I've seen it more in my life lately. That it speaks of a love that is awakened by a sense of value in an object which causes one to prize it. It speaks of a love that is awakened by a sense of value in an object which causes one to prize it. People are hard today. I just had a conversation with a guy yesterday. People are very difficult today. We have narcissism on steroids. Men are lovers of themselves. Like I said earlier, iniquity is abounding. But if you don't value people, you need an awakening. If you don't see the value and actually prize them, you need an awakening. That's what Paul is writing to this church. 
that we're to love one another. The other day, uh, Sai had a uh, appointment with a retina specialist. Thank you for your prayers. Things are going good there. I encourage you to keep praying. A little side note. But his doctor comes in like, you know, like ricochet rabbit, man. This guy's like, boom, in, hey, pff, out, you know. And he's not rude at all, man. I just feel like he's probably um, he's amazing at what he does, and he's overbooked, you know. So here I got this guy. can't pronounce his last name. I, I don't know what his country of origin is. But I'm looking at him working on my son. And all I could think of was the great value that this man holds to God because he's made in God's image. So I knew I wouldn't have an opportunity to talk to him because Ricochet Rabbit's out the door. But I had an opportunity when he was before my face to pray for him. And if he wasn't saved, asking God for his salvation. We live in a day where people need to know that if, the, if, if they don't know we value them, how are they ever going to know that our God does? Conversation I had a guy with a guy yesterday. He was talking about how difficult people are. I said, I used to tell people that, you know, you just build a bridge into people's lives, and then eventually God will give you the opportunity to carry the gospel over it. It just takes a little longer to build bridges these days. People are a little bit more closed down. A little bit more walled up. That's okay. we got to be bridge builders. And we're bridge builders, so hopefully we can bring the gospel in our lives. I uh, had an opportunity. Monday mornings I go shopping, and, uh, and I, I got to be real good friends with the bread guy, the guy who's stacking the, the bread aisle. This guy looks like he should be in the NFL. He's like six foot three, jacked, got the dreadlocks going. But him and I, you know, it went from a high to an introduction to a high five to hugs and just, you know, building this bridge with him, right? So I come in and he's like, I, I honestly think we introduced ourselves, but neither one of us remember each other's name. So it was always, hey, bro, you know, whatever. So, uh, so I come in, he goes, bro, bad news. I'm like, oh, what's going on? He's like, this is my last day here. They're, they're changing my route. And I'm like, oh, he goes, man, I'm going to miss you. I said, well, I'm going to miss you too. And, uh, you know, we're talking a little bit, and he's just explaining to me. I asked him, I said, well, I'm not going to see. Is there anything I can pray for you about? And he told me a couple things. He goes, my life right now, man, he goes, I feel like a pickaxe. I just got this mountain in front of me. I'm just trying to knock off one piece at a time to get this mountain knocked down. And and I told him, I said, well, you know, Jesus said, if you'll uh, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then he said, and all these things will be added unto you. So, so as, as you know, we gave each other some hugs and everything and see, uh, I, I got a couple aisles over and I remember that Sunday when I was up in the morning uh, just preparing for Sunday, God kind of flashed his face before my, my eyes, the, my heart, you know, out of nowhere. And he was just ministering to me how much he valued this guy and the love that he had for him. So... I got a couple aisles over, and I remember that. And I'm like, I got to go tell him. So I went over, and, and I told him. I said, hey, listen, man. I said, I was preparing my message Sunday morning. I don't know if he knew I was a pastor or not. It didn't matter. But I said, you know, God flashed your face before me. I says, and he just really was putting on my heart the value that you hold to him and the love that he has for you. And, and his head shrunk down like this, and he started crying. 
And I said, you know, I want you to remember this, that Jesus sees you as a treasure worth dying for. I said, he loves you, and so don't I. And I walked away about 20 feet, 30 feet, whatever it was, and I heard, I love you too. <laughs> but I'm saying all this to say that. Take time for people. Value people. I want, I want to ask you this. When this whole world gets lit up, because it is going to be flamed up, I want to ask you, what holds value in that day? Because what holds value in that day is what needs to hold value today. People hold value. Souls endure forever. The word of God endures forever. Everything else is fool's gold and temporal and not worth living for. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you would love one another the way that I love you. And that puts a whole new depth to it. It actually puts an inability to it. I can't love people the way Jesus does. But I'm not going to leave you on that note, because that would be very depressing. <laughs> Jesus said it was really expedient that I leave. He goes, I have to go because if I leave, I'll, I'll send a comforter. I'll send the Holy Spirit. And all this work I've been doing on the outside, all this love I've been doing on the outside, man, he's going to do it on the inside. And he's going to be able to fuel you up so that you can love like Christ. That's why Paul tells us in Romans 5.5 5, that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. It's by the Holy Ghost that that the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. So don't, don't love limited. Don't love in your own natural strength. Let the Holy Spirit work through you to really bring the love of God to people. Verse 10 says, and indeed you do it towards all the brethren which are in Macedonia. It's not just something you keep inside the walls of your church, but when you assemble together, you disassemble to take it out there into the world and to encourage other people. There should be some kind of a connection that, that you experience when you meet a fellow believer out there in the world, even if you've never met them before. We're sitting in that waiting room the other day. This guy had a John 3.16 hat on. So him and I got talking, man. Found out he was a greeter at Calvary Chapel Spenceport, how much he loves Calvary Chapel, and he's serving there. And, and we're just talking about the Lord, talking about the Lord loud. Who cares, man? People need to hear about Jesus, you know? Just like we're the only two in the room, and the room was full. So as we're, we're talking, all of a sudden this lady comes over. Can I join this conversation? She's like, yeah, sure, man, come on in, you know, and she's like, wow, we don't have a church, and we don't have no money, and, and she was like, ah, she's on the board, she's the renegade on the board, and wanted to know why there's no fire in the church, and we just had a chance to talk, it, it, was, it was just amazing, but the love spilled over, you know, the love's got to spill over, God's looking to give us opportunities like that, because you know what, we, we don't, carnality puts up denominational walls, carnality, the church of Corinth says, I'm a Paul, I'm a Cephas, I'm of Apollos. Not us, man. We see the church through the lens of God's word. There's one church. There's one body, and it's comprised of people who are born again of the Holy Spirit and forgiven of their sins. And I'm telling you what, you meet a brother or sister out there in Christ, you ought to love them the same degree you love anyone in here. Because that's what God would want from us. 
So we'll finish up here, a couple final exhortations. Probably got your Mother's Day brunch to go to and your stomach's growling and you're mad at me right now, but you know what, too bad, I got the show right now. <laughs> and indeed you do it to all the brethren. I'll tell you what, I sure hope that the reputation of our church isn't arrogant, self-righteous, or legalistic. But I hope it's the fact that we don't just love one another, but we love other people. We love the people outside of these walls. And it shouldn't be anything we have to muster up. It should be natural from just walking with Jesus. Verse 11, and that you study to be quiet. <laughs> okay, study to be quiet. All right, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Who the heck does that? Well, we need to. All right? Study to be quiet. It, it, it literally means living uncomplicated. The present tense is continually. It's a godliness with contentment. It means that we're not overrun with thoughts of covetousness, being unsatisfied, being restless. But we, we've got a, a, a stillness and, and, and we've got a peace and a tranquility within us. We can heed to quietness and confidence being our strength, being still and know that he's God, and, and, and listening to that still, small voice. We're choosing an uncomplicated life, a life that walks with God and pleases God. And to do your own business. All right? That only means to mind your own business. Keep your nose out of other people's business. J. Vernon McGeehan says that you need to tend to your own knitting. Stay out of other people's affairs. Jesus said this. To, remember Peter? Peter? He just gets done telling Peter, you love me, you love me, you love me. Feed my sheep, feed, or feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And, and, and then he tells him what kind of a death he's going to lead. And, and then he's walking Peter along. He says, but what about him? And Jesus turns to him and he says, if it matters you know, if, he, if I want to keep him till I come back, what's that matter to thee? You follow me. And I think the ye follow me is what we got to make sure that we're heeding, that we're following Jesus. And to work with your own hands. I was told a long time ago when I first got saved, I got laid off for a season and a lady told me that idleness is the devil's workshop. This is the opposite of inactivity and idleness. Stay active, stay busy as you can. Remember what God said in the Garden of Eden? He said, cursed is the ground for your sake. Why? Because it creates a discipline that's needed for you and I to work so that we don't become undisciplined and idle and find ourselves in all kinds of trouble and that you would walk honestly towards them which are without, that you might not lack anything. Now, we're going to break there, obviously, because we're out of time, but I did it on purpose, too, because next week is some great news, the blessed hope of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Jesus coming for his church. Father, we thank you for the exhortations of your word to holy living, and I pray that we would choose in our will not to settle for anything less but Holy Spirit, that, that you would just really be able to find in us a desire to surrender our heart to a greater degree, that the very nature and the holiness of our salvation 
would be worked out not just in our words, but in our deeds, the way that we live. Lord, there's so many people out there that, that need this treasure that you've chosen to invest in our life. And I pray this very week, Lord, that, that there would even be an awakening, if need be, of the value that people hold to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that, that you're looking to strategically place us in people's lives to show them the value that they hold to us so that we can introduce them to the value that they hold to you in what you are willing to do with your son for them. We bless you. We thank you. And ask just a special blessing over the moms that are here today that you would fuel them up for one of the highest calling ministries of the world, just being a mother, guiding the home, loving the children. We thank you for your love and your faithfulness, Jesus, in your name. Amen. You know, I, I pray for each one of us that we get opportunities this week. Our life has purpose, and one of the greatnesses of those purposes is to make our Christ known to those who don't know him. So may he open up doors for each one of us. May he richly bless you. I pray you have a great Mother's Day, ladies. If anybody needs prayer about anything, come on up. We'd be happy to pray with you. God bless you. Have a great day.